Well, it's a week after Easter, and Thomas doesn't believe it. But actually, the thing is, you know, we have doubts, all of us. Now, some of the people in this room have no doubts, but you have doubts. And it's true of our Christian life. We're in a spiritual battle, and we do have doubts. And uh, we have to know how to deal with these doubts. And um, so we're going to look at this story this, uh, of this time after Easter. And um, some things are hard to believe, though, aren't they, really? I mean, and if you'd said to somebody 100 years ago, or even less, 30 miles from here, there are straight tubes which weigh about, well, about 305 tons. And they will, without any assistance from outside, they can be lifted five miles high in about a few minutes. It's called aeroplanes. You'd never believe that. It's impossible, isn't it? It's amazing. You go and see them. But things are hard to believe sometimes. And Thomas, he finds it hard to believe. I mean, and Jesus has appeared to his disciples. He appeared to the women folk. Then he appeared to, to Peter and John. And then he had the whole disciples. Then to two more on, a, on the road east out of Jerusalem to Emmaus. And, uh, but Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why. And they said, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I see the marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his hand, I will not believe. Seeing is believing. That's what it's about. So Thomas's view, you know, I mean, there is plenty of evidence if Thomas would believe it. But um, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't true. That's what he's thinking. And it's understandable, you know. Um, you know, when Thomas says, you know, well, look, I'm from Yorkshire. I don't believe these things. No, he wasn't from Yorkshire. But, you know, he wants to, I want to see the guy. I want to see it. Touch him. I don't know any of this symbolic stuff. Spiritual resurrection, metaphorical resurrection. I want to see him. I want to touch him. Hold his hand. You know, the, the Bishop of Perth a few years ago in Australia, so they said to him, what would happen to your faith? if they found the body and bones of Jesus. And he said, nothing, because Jesus has risen in my heart. Well, Thomas would not believe any of that claptrap. He said, I want to see a real person. Resurrection means what it means, resurrection. I don't want that spiritual thing. I want what we're talking about, a resurrection from the dead. Now, we all as Christians have a constant battle with faith and unbelief. We're in a spiritual warfare with all the powers of darkness. And we have to know how to resist the fiery darts of the enemy that come into our minds, the thoughts that come in, and we have to know how to deal with them, right? And uh, that's why one of the reasons why we're looking at this. Now, let me also say, Thomas is a true believer. He's a genuine believer. He's followed Jesus. He's committed to Jesus. And, um, I mean, he said earlier, you remember... In, in Jesus' ministry, let us go to Jerusalem. Things are getting tough. Let us go to Jerusalem that we might die with him. Where's the dying bit coming from? Nobody mentioned dying, but Thomas is a bit like that. He's a bit negative, melancholic, you know, Eeyore, Eeyore type, you know. Half full, skeptical. Some of us are like that. Some are a bit melancholic at times. Let's go and die with him, you know. Now, nobody's doubting his heart. But we're like that. And some of you need more encouragement 
to deal with things like doubt. And, uh, you know, we don't, you know, in the Lego movie things, everything, everything is awesome. Well, Thomas probably wouldn't have sung that song. You know, it doesn't, life's not like that for Thomas. And some of us are like that. And, we, and uh, praise God, you're in the church. Uh, he's a bit of a pessimist, and he needs more telling. I mean, Jesus said to him, you know the place where I'm going to. Lord, how can we know where you're going? We don't know the place where you're going. How can we know where you, the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Thomas believed him. He's a real believer. And, Tom, and Jesus could say in the upper room about the, the, the disciples, you are clean. You are, before God, you are clean. And then when he prays to the Father, he can say, that, you know, they have, they have believed that you sent me. He's a true believer. And, um, and that's how it is. But uh, he's an unbelieving believer. And some of us are like that. Tell me, you know, we're not, not everybody believes as much as the other person across the room. We have to be honest about things. And... Uh, now, the thing is also, doubts have different causes, and that's a fact. Sometimes it's just ignorance. Sometimes it's just ignorance. We just don't know about the Christian faith. You know, we don't know enough about Christ, and we make strange things. That we don't know enough about God. We have strange views of God. We have strange views about the church. And what you need to do is actually go on a course to Alpha. You need to just go through it. Well, I've been through it. I still don't get it. Go through it again. I had a friend who went through it so many times, and she got it. Some of us, it takes a long while to get. But what I'm saying is, as you're, as you're instructed, as you get teaching, ah, the ignorance goes and the doubts tend to go with them. And that happens. And um, you see, Thomas is in doubt because he's believing a lie. He doesn't believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And that's his problem. And um, now, Jesus did say he would rise again. He said that. He said it several times. But they didn't believe him. The disciples didn't believe him. I mean, they weren't saying on Easter Saturday, well, I can't wait for tomorrow because Jesus is going to be raised. They weren't, they weren't thinking that at all. No. Um, they, they needed teaching and Jesus is going to teach them. But also, you know, we don't want to be gullible, don't we? We don't want to be naive and gullible. I, I, I hear Thomas. There's a sense in that. I remember going to a church in Texas once and to a healing meeting. And it was amazing. And the guy who was leading the meeting was giving, you are so-and-so, David, and your doctor's name is this, and you've got this condition. Well, that was amazing. It went on. But then we found out that people, that, that people had filled in uh, visitors' cards, and they'd got the message to him. I talked to a friend of mine in Oregon later, and I said, "What about this guy?" Well, he says he's fine. He's a crook, <laughs> but you know, I'm gullible. You see, I want to believe it. I did want to believe it, and I, you know, but we don't want to be gullible. And Thomas is like that. He doesn't want to be gullible. He wants to. He wants the real thing. Look, the three people died on that site that day were crucified. The middle one, my friend Jesus, had a hole in his side. 
The other two didn't. Whether, had his, whether his pericardium ruptured or he had something had happened, but he had a massive bleed inside because somebody took a, you know, and when the, the centurions took a spear in him, the, the blood had separated from the clot and plasma and the plasma flowed out like water. And uh, well, that was different. So Thomas says, the person I'm looking for wouldn't just have holes in his hands. He would have a hole in his side. Thomas wants the real thing. He wants evidence. And, and yeah, that's how he is. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, the trouble is also we, had, we have doubts because we, have, we are confused in our thinking. For instance, Thomas believed, he'd, been, he'd grown, grown to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, the Messiah in Jewish culture, Jewish teaching, was one who was loved by God, chosen by God, treasured by God. But Jesus had been crucified. Now, the Bible says very clearly in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Everyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. How can he be the Messiah and under God's curse? I mean, it's an oxymoron, a crucified Messiah. It's like fried ice. They don't go together. You can't do it. And he can't, he can't work it out. He can't work it out. Now, I think, you see... In these ten, in the week, the disciples say he's risen, and he wasn't. Well, I, he hasn't seen him, so he's a week to think about it. Now I'm surmising, but I'm thinking, he's thinking, how can this be? But and then he, then the spirit leads him eventually to think. But didn't it say seven hundred years ago, the Lord laid upon him? That's the Messiah or the servant of servant. The iniquity of us all for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. It was the, the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. It was he was he was crushed for our iniquities. Perhaps he's suffering under a curse, not for his own sin, but someone else's. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Now, I think light is dawning. I see if we time to look at it, the same thing happens to Paul. You remember the Paul who hates the church, this wretched Galilean fella, and he's trying to get rid of all his, all his disciples. But then he meets him on the road north to Damascus. And he, he's blinded. And it, very interesting what happens in those three days. And of course, subsequently he goes to Arabia to try and sort out. But at the end, he comes back and he says, you know, God was in Christ. Reconciled the world to himself. He, who, Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That in him, in union with him, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, he dies in our place. And so what happens to John happens to Paul. They come back. Anyway, John comes back. After a week, and, and he's something's happened, and uh, he's changed ideas. But also, you have to sort out your thinking. Doubts come because we, we need to sort out our thinking. For instance, if if one of our young men or women go to university or college, and and the lecturer says, "Well, the reason you're a you're a Christian is because your your parents are Christians, or you went to a Christian church." That's the only reason. 
It's a cultural thing. You've inherited it. Now, Ahmed, he's a Muslim. Well, because he went to, a, he was brought up in a Muslim culture, in a Muslim family. That's why he follows Islam. It's as simple as that. And, you know, you're, you're, you're thrown, really, because uh, you feel muddled. And uh, it's important that we have to work out our beliefs and sort out why we follow the risen Christ. That, that it's deeply in our own soul. But also we doubt because, well, different things we doubt. We doubt because of crisis in our life. You know, and it's understandable. You, you, your, your spouse dies. You pray and you pray and then she dies. You think, where is God in all this? Or else your husband goes off with somebody and think, where is God in this? Or you lose your job, you come to church, everything's wonderful, you're going to be blessed, and then blow me the next minute, you may be redundant. And you're thinking, where is God in this? You know, and doubts come. And, or maybe, you, maybe you've been abused at home with your husband or your wife or, your, you know, or you, you're abused by your parents. I don't know. And you think, where is God in all this? And, uh, and you can have many doubts. Or else, you know, you, 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 you have doubts when you're just exhausted. You're not sleeping. You come on a Sunday, everybody's hands in there, and you think, what is all this about? I'm exhausted. It's a miracle you made it. Thank you for coming. But actually, you're, 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 you're out of it physically. You're tired. And you wonder why you have doubts. Or you've been working 80 hours a week, and you don't believe anything. Why? You're just physically and emotionally exhausted. We're all a, we're one glorious mixture, you know? Your body affects your mind and spirit and all the rest of it. And uh, you have to know that. Uh, that, um, you know, and if you're working every five, all the time, you get tired out and you, you, you find it difficult. You work with people who are cynical against the Christian faith and, and, uh, you feel tired and you're exhausted and you're unable to deal with their jibes and their accusations. You're just exhausted and doubts come. You have to know yourself. Or else one of the commonest causes of doubts is, you know, our lifestyle. You know, we, you, 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 you start as an adult, you want to read your, you read your Bible, you pray, you lead a godly lifestyle. And then... A thousand choices later, you find yourself in bed with someone who's not your legitimate partner. And you think, and you go to the mirror and you look and you say, I never did believe all that religious rubbish. And, and, and it suits you to have doubts because doubts confirms your, your lifestyle. If you're living a godless lifestyle... Don't be surprised that doubts will flood in and you'll embrace the doubts because it will suit you. Or else, you know, you've made a fortune. Uh, you've worked and worked and you haven't been to church for years and years and years, but you've got a big house and a big car and you've, your kids are in good school and all the rest of it. And you say, I don't need the church. I've had a few doubts. About, well, I've got doubts and I have to live with doubts because the doubts confirm my lifestyle. All I'm saying is, Doubts come from a, a, a doubtful lifestyle. You listen to people, so-called experts on the telly, having a go at Christ and Christianity. You think, well, it suits you to believe that because you'd have to change your life radically to follow Jesus Christ. I mean, the, one philosopher of the last century, Aldous Huxley, at least he was honest. He says in one of his books, he says, 
We, we expected, we, sorry, we objected to the morality, that was Christianity, because it interfered with our sexual freedom. <laughs> At least he's honest. We didn't want to be a Christian because we'd have to stop this lifestyle we're in. Fair enough. And um, doubts comes from a lifestyle that's contrary to the will of God. Because doubts come and they, they dark, block our eyes and harden our hearts. Oh, people say, well, if they would put God is love in, if God had put a sign, God is love in the sky, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. You'd say the Russians did it. <laughs> you wouldn't believe. We don't know why Thomas didn't go to that meeting. He is a believer. But the, the thing is also, doubt is different in believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers enjoys, not enjoys, but accepts the doubts. Uh, it helps his excuses. Or, uh, he's not, he's, he or she has no heart to believe. They choose to, to write books, to read books that will confirm their doubts. But for Thomas and for the believer, the doubts are painful. We hate them. We hate the confusion and fog we're in. And we long for clarity. And um, we long to know, am I really in his love? Do his promises still apply to me? Has he forgotten me? We long for that blessedness that once we knew when first we saw the light. And um, and that's how it is. And um, But Jesus has given... Plenty of evidence that he's alive. But the problem is Thomas is laying down the conditions. Unless I see the marks in his hands and put my fingers there, I won't believe. Listen, God will not comply with your conditions. He is infinitely glorious, omnipotent, all-powerful God. We are tiny, finite little beings. Don't say, well, if he'll answer my prayer, then I'll believe. You know, if, if my circumstances change, then I'll believe. God will not play that game. No, no, we, 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 we submit to his, his ideas. Um, but anyway, a week later, look at it, let's look at the text. A week later, the disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Through the door, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I mean, I just, if it's not available. If you could ever get the video, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? Thomas's face when Jesus comes. I mean, just see him. Sit down, just think it through sometimes. It's, it's amazing what, what would go on in Thomas's heart. And uh, he says, Thomas, you want physical evidence? Put your hands here, come on. Put your hands here. Actually, we've no evidence that Thomas did that. I don't think. I think he didn't need that. He's. I think he was. He was convinced. He sees the resurrected Christ, not just the raised Christ. He didn't just have a raised body. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus was resurrected in the sense that he had a new body with a hundred trillion animated new cells. He was a new a new person. The beginning of the new creation. And uh, Thomas says to him, my Lord 
and my God. That's amazing. It's interesting, John's gospel starts with that and ends with this, the deity of Christ. Now, if you get a Jehovah's Witness at the door and you show him this, well, doesn't Thomas say, my Lord and my God? Because they don't believe that, that Jesus was the Son of God or God unique. They say he was just, he was just an expletive. My God, my Lord and my God. Well, that's nonsense. First of all, Jesus would have rebuked him immediately. But secondly, no first century pious Jew would ever take the name of God on their lips in a sort of profane um, exclamation. And then Jesus would not approve that. But also what gives it away is that little word in the middle, doesn't it? My Lord and my God. <laughs> he knew what he was saying. How would Thomas come to this conclusion? I mean, he doesn't say when Lazarus was raised, this a few weeks earlier, my Lord and my God. No, no. No. You see, he had been with Jesus three years. And Jesus had said to him, he said to Philip, do you not know, Philip, that I've been with, been with you all this time for such a long time. Anyone seeing me has seen the Father. And Jesus kept saying that all the things like all the time. I, you know, I and the Father are one. I am the resurrection of the life. He who lives in me, though he die, you know, will never die. He who lives will never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He'd been saying this all the time. He says, all the thoughts, and, and, and all these to me. He honors the son, honors the father. And, and, and all these sort of miraculous signs, uh, he's been given all this for, for three years. I mean, what must it have been like to be a disciple? Sublime teaching as never before in the history of mankind and a life that, that had never been seen before. It's a peerless, perfect human being on the face of the earth. And then, you know, what a character. What miracles, what extra sublime teaching. And then, because he goes one day, you remember, they're going on their way and there's a man on a pallet on a stretcher his friends are carrying him and they can't get to Jesus so they go up some stairs and they take up make a hole in the roof and lower him down you don't want friends like that do you really but spoil your house but they didn't care but the point is Jesus says to them my son your sins are forgiven well quite right the Pharisees pick it up only God can forgive sins and that is true, you see. And um, only the offended party has the right to forgive. You see, if one of you goes outside and gets raped, attacked and assaulted, and you finish him in hospital. But anyway, I go off and I catch the person who's assaulted you. And I catch them. And I say to them, I forgive you. And I go back to the hospital and say, by the way, I've caught the person who attacked you and assaulted you. And I forgive them. What right have you to forgive him? He didn't assault you. He didn't sin against you. Now, in the same way, all sins are against God. And everybody gets the point. Only God can forgive sins. But this goes on through three years. And it's just an amazing life. And then he appears. And not only that, he knew Jesus knew what the conversation had gone on a week ago 
with Thomas when actually Jesus wasn't physically present. How did Jesus know that? But, well, it all comes to this conclusion. Thomas says, my Lord, my God. He sees it. You see, the Christian life is to do with evidence. The Christian life isn't, we believe, you believe. No, no, the Christian life isn't that. The Christian life is, look at the evidence, then believe, then you get life. That's all of John's gospel, actually, in a sentence. Free of charge. But seriously, um, you see, that's what John says. John the Apostle says later. He says, that which was from the beginning, God, which we have heard, we've heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which these hands have handled. We've, we've handled, we've shook hands, we've embraced him. We've, you know, we've cooked fish on a barbecue together. We've handled him. This was no wraith, no scepter, no ghost, no, no. No, this was a real person who had a barbecue or ate with us, drank with us. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him. John says, we handled him. We touched him. This is Christianity, my friends. If Christ be not risen, we are a, we might as well back in now. We're wasting our time. But Christ is indeed raised from the dead. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Martin Luther, the German leader, says, the most important words in the Christian life are the personal pronouns. My Lord, my God. That's it. It's got to come to that for you, my friends. You know, it, we'll get to our Lord. We'll get there. But actually, it has to start in your life and mine by we saying, he's my Lord and my God, the Lord of my life and the God of this universe. We've got to come to that. And Jesus says, and Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then he goes on, verse 31. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. Jesus is saying, that's the way to life. You see, None of us in this room will have seen the risen Christ bodily. And that's how it is. But God's way, God has chosen that the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, the eyewitnesses of, the, of Jesus' life, protected, put it down in a book, have put it in scripture. God has led them, inspired them, protected them, and preserved the scripture. That's the way it works in 2018. Now, Jesus says, if you want to have, be blessed by God, if you want to have life, this is what you have to do. You have to believe the, the witnesses. You have to believe the word of God. That's what it's about. And you'll, your life will be blessed. Now, he's not saying, you know, you'll be happy and joyful and all the rest of it all the time. No, the word blessed is to do with what God thinks. God is delighted. God is pleased that you believe his word. That's the only bit of real estate he has left to us at the moment. And we have to believe it. 
The greatest way of knowing God, my friend, is not philosophy. I've studied philosophy. It's not rational arguments or empirical studies. The, the, the truest and most infallible certain way of knowing God today is the Word of God. That's the Holy Spirit comes. You want to know God? Open the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit and He will come. It starts there. It doesn't finish there. There are many wonderful experiences, but it starts with the Word of God. For simple folk like me and you and for the great intellectuals. It fits us all. One size fits all. And, uh, and God is pleased when his people receive his son as Lord on the basis of this book. And as we said, the essence of John's gospel is three things. Evidence, belief, you get life. These things are written, says Jesus, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may be of life, spiritual life, the life of God, eternal life, everlasting life, the powerful life, the joyful life. It all comes, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in all his fullness. And I have to tell you this, it comes from this book. Now, we, do not we don't worship the book. It points to Jesus. He's the one we love. But actually, this is his book. The only book he ever read in one sense was this book, the Old Testament. And, and he's ensured that and the New Testament is inspired because it's so important. And it, and it leads to one thing. You say, my Lord and my God. Now, we're all going to have doubts. I'm sorry about that because the warfare is intense. It's not nice. Some days it's a hell of a time. But the, how do we deal with doubts? We come to the Word, the Bible. Remember, last month, when the great, great man died, Billy Graham, he preached to 200 million people, a man of God down to his boots. But one of the secrets of his life was this. Right at the beginning, if you read his life story, you'll know as a young man, he's beginning, he's really gifted, a, a winsome farmer's son, a lovely man. And he, but he was beset with doubts. Let me read what he says. Because he's, he, he's, he's troubled. He can't get anywhere because of doubts. So he just goes east of uh, Los Angeles into some campsite. And he, in a wood, he says, let me, let me read this. I remember walking down a trail, camping in the woods, and almost wrestling with God. I, I dueled with my doubts. And my soul seemed to be caught in the crossfire. Finally, in desperation, I surrendered my will to the living God, revealed in Scripture. I knelt before the open Bible and said, Lord, many things in this book I do not understand. But you've said, the just shall live by faith. I've all I've received from you, I've taken by faith. Here and now, by faith, I accept the Bible as your word. I take it all. I take it without reservation. Where, where there are things I cannot understand, I will reserve judgment until I receive more light. If this pleases you, give me authority as I proclaim your word. And through that authority, convict men of sin and turn many Sinners to the Savior. All I say, my friends, that is what happened to me. I was brought up in a church, not a good, not, be careful what I say, not a church like this. But that's the common time 
when you have to bow, you to step under the word, not as a judgmental person above it. You come under the word of God and you submit to it. And I pray with Jesus, thy word is truth. All I want to say, this is my testimony. It's my brother's testimony. It's my spiritual mentor's testimony. Our lives were changed. We're, we're all brought up in the same church. When we came to this position and we said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, might have life in his name. You have to do it. The godly men and women who lead this church can't do it for you. There has to come a stage where you kneel before the word and say, I accept it. I'm not going to argue and be a clever son. So I'm going to submit to it. All I can say is it will lead to life and joy and everlasting peace. That is our testimony. That is the testimony of this church. And that is what we preach and that is what we plead and that is the way to life. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.